Michael Bennett is many things. He played for several teams across the country over the course of his 11-year stint in the NFL. He participated in the Pro Bowl three times and was Super Bowl champ in 2014 while playing with the Seattle Seahawks. Dean Douglas speaks with him about his new book, Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. It has been called a sports book for our turbulent times, a memoir and a, and a manifesto as hilarious and engaging as it is illuminating. It was published by Haymarket Books and has been lauded by the likes of Yanga Yamada Taylor, Naomi Klein, Bernie Sanders, Cornel West, and many others. Good afternoon. I'm Kelly Brown Douglas, Dean of the Episcopal Divinity School at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, as well as Union's Bill and Judith Moyers Professor of Public Theology. I'd like to thank all of you for joining me in a, another of a series of conversations engaging on issues that matter on the public square. Today, I'm excited to have joining me in this conversation, Super Bowl champion, author of Things That Make White People Uncomfortable, co-host of the podcast Mouthpiece with his wife, Pele Bennett, Michael Bennett, a man that I have come to know as one who is as fierce an advocate for social justice and as fierce about his faith as he ever was on the football field. Michael, welcome and thank you for joining me today in this conversation. No, I don't know. That, that introduction was so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't even begin to cover uh, who you are and the significance of your work, not simply on the field, but off the field. So I want to jump right in because we have a little bit of time and I want to use it wisely to hear, get your insights and wisdom. Michael, there's a point when I... Think of you and some of the things you've said. I think about a poem by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, a poem in which uh, he wrote called We Wear the Mask. You have spoken on many occasions about the reality of being a Black athlete as one of wearing masks. What do you mean by that? I mean that there's a sense that like sometimes when you're an athlete that who you are isn't enough and so you have to continuously put on different masks and I think when we look at the collegiate level or the high school level of athletics we look at different masks for different circles different circles will accept you some circles won't accept you for a certain amount of blackness it's like this idea to you know conform you to something other than which you are this form that you're black is in inferior, you know, and so is this Michael, we're having a little bit of trouble with your audio. You wanna come a little closer to your mic, yeah. Yeah, let me turn it uh hear me now. Yeah, I think we're fine. Um, yeah, so basically, which these masks slowly start to deteriorate who you truly are, who you 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 are, who you
on who you are and what you believe in. Yeah, so I, I'm not, not sure if we pick that up, but what I've heard you express is how indeed there are times when as a black athlete, you haven't been, uh, and black athletes aren't always able to be fully who they are and have to wear different masks, uh, whether it's be uh, in the locker room, so let me continue that a little further. One of the things that you have uh, become known for uh, is, of course, your social justice advocacy and mm -hmm. your uh, advocacy in particular for racial justice, as well as other uh, black athletes. Four years ago, as we know, Colin Kaepernick took a knee and athletes like yourself joined him. Of course, Kaepernick, thanks in no small measure to Donald Trump. Was it reminded me of what happened in fact, when John Carlos and Tommy Smith during the 1968 Olympics raised their fists to support the black power movement and they too were exiled and removed from the Olympic village. So in many respects, what Kaepernick did was a part of an historical legacy of black athletes using their platform to pr protest injustice to which I wanna return in a minute. But for now, I wanna get your thoughts on the fact that four years have passed and now we have the NFL and the commissioner proclaiming that Black Lives Matter, suggesting that they play the national Black national anthem and games and proclaiming now the need for racial justice. Four years later, Michael, is it too little, too late? What's this all about? I don't know if it's too late or I believe it's too late, right? I don't know if it's too little. I feel like it's, it's definitely too late because there's a lot of things that we could have accomplished together as with unity. I think by being divided into more issues and really left a void to really bring society together in so many ways in this game of football that people seem to love and it seems to break so many barriers but it doesn't break the barrier of race and it doesn't break the barrier of politics i think we had the opportunity there were a lot of murders that happened since then that we could have used not only in a sense of police brutality but in a sense of what was happening around america how to bring america back together here's this game that people sit and 50 million people watch every sunday we know of the NFL over the last 10 years, billions and billions of dollars of blackness. So obviously black lives matter because without black talent, the NFL wouldn't be able to uh, accomplish the things that is accomplished in this league. And we look at this moral issue that they're saying. It's like the same people who are talking about peace are the same people who are bringing up a such injustice when you talk about its own issues with his culture and his own diversity issues. So there's a lot of issues that, you know, where my grandma used to say charity starts at home. And there's some charity that we need to do within our own 
society and especially with athletes and I think the role of an athlete is the role of any human I think the role of any human in this world is to you know think about think about the human aspect of it and think about what is the really what really matters and I think here he's really talking about the purpose of us what do we do with this platform what is our purpose and I think when you're athlete and you have this purpose you have this platform you, you have a duty in Michael, I think we're continuing to have trouble with your sound. You were saying that is so profound that I want people to hear. Uh, so maybe we can try to adjust your sound a little bit. Let me see if I can. One second. It says, it says, tells me to relaunch it real fast. Hold on one second. I might have to relaunch it. And I think right then we're we're hearing you better. I think what uh, wait a minute and give uh, Michael Bennett a chance to reconnect with us uh, uh, as. Uh, he continues to help us to understand the role of the black athlete and he's joining us from Hawaii. And so we are uh, having a little trouble with his sound. If he cannot connect, we promise to bring this conversation back to you at another time. Switcher, can you hear me now? Yeah, I think we can hear I, you. So I had to switch from the computer. I was on my computer, I just switched to my iPad. Can you hear me better now? Uh, yes, this is better, thank you. Uh, my experience. So you were saying, and I didn't want people to miss it, because in this conversation about the role of the Black athlete, and particularly as you were speaking to Kyrie Irving's movement or move to uh, get Black athletes to boycott, if you will, at this time when we're in the this midst of these uh, two interlocking pandemics of white racism, police brutality, and COVID. And so I wanted people to hear what you were saying in this regard in terms of the responsibility and the movement that Kyrie Irving is trying to lead in the NBA. Yeah, so I was saying that I think this is an important movement because it's a continuation of, of nonviolent um, nonviolent movement. I think it's a continuation of um, of, of really attacking a structure that's a capitalistic structure. And the only way to really conquer that structure is to, you know, coming from, a, from an economic standpoint, I think we're looking in the world that's full of materialism and it's full of this idea that we, that we're looking at, we look at the president, we look at what's happening, we look at these, these cities opening and knowing that people are gonna be dying because of a disease. So Kyrie Irving is saying with this power that we possess, is it is it the is it the ball that we play with it, or is it the goal that we shoot in, or is it our fellow human that's important? And I think this idea that you know using this platform to bring about change is important because we, this is the only generation where you can have 20 billion people at one time on on, a, on a, 
I mean, five billion people or hundred million people listening to you because of social media. So these these this platform is huge, and I think because we're standing on the shoulders of so many great people who came before us, and this opportunity to resist in a way that is showing that we can't be bought out because it's not about money. It's about our ethics. It's about our morality. It's about our spirituality. And how do we keep moving forward? And I think by boycotting or sitting out or protesting is saying that we are in. We are not morally complacent. We are more not morally content. We are not morally. We are not morally. We are not. We are not. We are not subjecting ourselves to this society without making a conscious effort to change. And I think sometimes because our our realities are so so different that sometimes because one that has money who doesn't have money, sometimes we get caught up in thinking that. We are starting to build our own caste system between ourselves and dividing ourselves by titles, dividing ourselves by money. But at the end of the day, we are all human beings and there's something that's connecting us and we have to be cautious and be be courageous in these moments to really choose humanity over the dollar. So, wow, I love that. And, and I wanna pick up on that. And then we're gonna to get to this matter of spirituality and morality that you also mentioned. But what you've made clear is that we have to be make a difference and be clear uh, about whether we're talking about human beings as human or commodities. And in a capitalistic system, we're usually talking about people as commodities. And, and so ball players and other athletes have an opportunity to begin to lift up our common humanity uh, and in themselves, not allowing themselves to be used as simply commodities. So you often speak of the importance of affirming who we all are as human beings. One of the most powerful things that I've heard you say, Michael, is that uh, when you think of the Black Lives Matter movement, you think and you think of George Floyd, that George Floyd matters, you have said, because he is a human being. The Black Lives Matter movement is a movement for our humanity. Can you speak to that? Yeah, it's, it's important because <laughs> this is the idea that we stream Black Lives Matter and people think that it's, it's about division, but this is really about reclaiming humanity. If you look in a society and look at it from a historical context, the loss of humanity has been a continuation that we look from. Before the slavery, we look, we look at Jim Crow, we look at mass incarceration, we look at a, a constant state of um, losing humanity and dignity for African-American people when we scream Black Lives Matter. It's about bringing the dignity and reclaiming the humanity and saying that our kids deserve to exist. We deserve to have great schools. We deserve it. And not saying that any other race doesn't deserve it because at the end of the day, it's about intersectionality. But to have true intersectionality and true, to have true interconnectedness, we have to acknowledge that that people matter and that when we scream Black Lives Matter, we also, that's including all people of color, that's all pe people of brown skin, but also in saying that, you know, people of brown skin or pigmentation, there's been a war on their uh, existence since the beginning, you know, looking at, you know, looking at this poverty line and this, we looked at this racial doing COVID, we looked at the racial disparities and we have to continue to say Black Lives Matter because we look and we saw the healthcare system was broken in these communities. Why? Because society says that their life doesn't matter. We look at the education system and they don't have computers, not enough teachers. Why? Because society says they have to matter. We look at George Floyd and we watch his death 
on camera is because society said his life doesn't matter. And so this is a constant state that we aren't really fighting something that's fleshly at this moment. We really are digging into something, fighting this spiritual battle that's beyond. You know, it's, it's when, when Jesus said, when Jesus told John and when Jesus told the disciples, you know, they're like, Jesus, you want bread to feed the flesh. Jesus said, no, I'm feeding the spirit. And so we have to constantly feed our spirit because right now we live in a world that's right now they're spiritually blind. And because we need to be awakened and awaken our subconscious to the, the idea that black lives matter is because our kids are subconsciously subjected to a world that they don't matter. And to live in a world where you don't matter, to not have hope, to not have aspirations, to feel alienated is to be living while dying. And I think that's a constant you know, fear factor for those who live in a position of color. Yeah, you said that so well. And you know, you've talked about and written about the fact that to navigate this world, to navigate America as a black person, as a black man in, uh, in America and, and as a black man raising uh, black daughters to understand the history and the reality and the experience of anger and sadness, which both reflect, as you have said, a deep pain. Yet, you've also spoken of how in it is that your spirituality and your sort of developing that spirituality uh, uh, has helped you in regard to not living in that pain and not living in that anger and not living in that sadness. Can you speak to that? Yes, I think anytime spirituality is a part of and religion is a in a certain way, and, and religion is a part of society, it gives us a, a sense of hope. It gives us a sense of that there's something more that's connected us than just this flesh, right? And I think spirituality is important to these movements because if you look at all the great change in the world, it's always been led by some type of spiritual spiritual aspect of it. All the great leaders had some type of spiritual aspect. Like it didn't have to be, didn't have to be a of Christ, it could be of their religion, but it was something that was moving them to connect to this oneness. And I think my spirituality and watching and seeing the parts of this idea, because right now I feel that this is just my perspective. I think in in a in a in a, in a radical revolutionary and a morality moral sense, I feel like religion is 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 important. Our spirituality is important, and if you look at a lot of things, a lot of times. Churches don't want to get involved in social justice, and because it's, but it's, it's if you, if we are called in the name of God, and God is love, and Jesus is love, and religion is love, then it's important that we we love in a way that we got to be able to stand up in a courageous love and be able to continuously use our spirituality as a weapon and use it as a sense of bringing people together in a moral sense. And I think if we're living in a society that is 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 morally bankrupt then the only way to really change it is to build it back up morally and to think about our spirituality in, in this world where it's a soulless society. When we talk about materialism, we've got so deep into materialism that we think that when we, we kill each other over something that's material, that at the end of the day, it doesn't even, doesn't even leave this earth, but we leave this earth when we die. And I think it's important that we talk about spirituality and bringing people together beyond flesh because the battles that we are fighting are beyond flesh at this moment. And I think if we could really get tap into that. There's a sense that we can really move forward. And for me, spirituality is important because we are living in such 
it's such a, a, a morally corrupt system that if we don't have spirituality at this moment, then we must slowly start to slowly start to build ourselves into that. And I think if we look at, you know, if you're looking at the his book, Moral Men and Immoral Society, and, and he was saying something that was really important in that book. And he was saying that, you know, humans have an animalistic side and a moral side. And at any moment we can tap into any one of those sides. And to think about tapping into animalistic side, that's really saying that that's, that's the violent side. That's the side that has a selfish, that's the side that deals with ego because animals just do exactly what they want at any time. But the moral side of us is what keeps us on the straight line. The moral idea that lives matter, the moral idea that we can continuously build a nation that is around, you know, inclusivity and the idea that people matter is, is, is a spiritual battle, it's a moral battle. And I think for me, that's important to always remember. Yeah, what I hear you suggesting is that when we tap into this power that is beyond us or greater than us, at least we began to recognize the unity of who we all are as one humanity, uh, as well as we tap into this greater imagination of what justice can look like and transforming the way in which we see ourselves in the world. And so, you know, you're perfectly right in suggesting that any great change in, throughout history in this country, uh, there have always been faith leaders of uh, various faiths involved and in the forefront in those movements for transformation. I want to just ask you a couple of more questions. One of, in, in, in relationship to this, you very much uh, are motivated uh, by, guided by uh, your own faith, your own Christian faith, uh, which gives you this uh, deeper sense of self, of responsibility, uh, as well as a wider imagination for what justice can look like. You have said, I've heard you speak about the criminal justice system and particularly policing uh, in this country. And you have said that we need the kind of reforms that reflect biblical paradigms of justice when we're talking about policing in this country. Can you say a word about that? I think I think at this point, I think when I talk, when I'm, when I'm saying these things, I'm basically saying there's something more than just us thinking about people as, as numbers, thinking about as people as this person dies in a system where we have to choose what's the right and what's wrong at this moment, but finding some type of moral complacency, right? Because I feel like we're constantly being segregated from our moral and our spiritual connections on a constant basis. And I think we talk about policing in the United States, there, there's a moral issue at this moment because for another human to sit on another human's neck and slowly watch him, his life being pulled away, there's something more than that because the flesh is saying, get off of him. It's saying, remove yourself but there's something that's deeper and is deeply rooted that needs to be removed. And it's just deeper than a disease. We look at COVID and it's everywhere in the air and we think of it just, we're wearing masks, but we almost gotta wear, we also gotta wear, it's almost like we gotta wear a mask on our, our spirits and we wear a mask on our face because there's so much out there. And I think of, when we talk about biblical justice, we talk about this love that needs to be connected to ourselves, then this righteousness and this alternate way to really effect this uh, evil system that's really connected to you know really breaking people down and I think when we think about how do we reimagine and not limit ourselves to thinking that 
this is the only way to subject humans to this type of violence. It's the only way to subject humans to this. I think we have to really connect to something deeper than ourselves and deeper than the system that we've always been in. We have to reimagine and be more creative when thinking about justice. Yeah, there is a certain justice for certain things, but at some point, do we really kill somebody over over going into the store and taking a candy bar? Do we really kill a mother who really just wants to feed her kids? Really, that's we really are looking at something that's really struck in deeper than this. And the war is really about property on these people who don't have these opportunities and their lives don't matter. And I think we have to really, really defend ourselves from this idea that the system that we live in has been been moral and the system that we are part of is 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 really reflecting the body of people that is governing. And I think it really doesn't. I think when we really look at a system, we really look at the POTUS, we really look at what's happening around here, it doesn't reflect the people of America, it doesn't reflect us in any type of way. And we as we as a society, we have a we have an opportunity to really protest and use our conviction in any way that we've seen it to really make change because we notice that it's, it's affected all of us at this moment. It's, reflected, it's a reflection of all of us. All of us are Jewish Floyd. All of us are Breonna Taylor. All of us are people who have really lost their life to a tragic system because at any moment that system can be tragic at us. And I think we really had to really, really get into a situation where we really had to look at it from another perspective. No, very good. I mean, you remind us that what's at stake here is if we talk about the soul of our nation being at stake. We're really talking about our own souls being at stake mm. and that we have to begin to proclaim the kind of people as individuals, as well as a nation that we want to be. You quoted Reinhold Niebuhr's uh, moral uh, man and immoral society. And you're reminding us that we are called, uh, we are moral individuals. And if indeed we are that, then we indeed have to live that out into the kind of society and world that we build and be guided by a greater justice and a greater sense of our humanity, our better angels, if you will. And Michael Bennett, you are always uh, reminding us of that. And for me, you are a public theologian, a theologian on the public square, reminding us of the interplay of faith, social justice, reminding us of our simply our common humanity. And for that, I thank you. I wanna ask you, what's next for Michael Bennett? And you know, I hope that people have seen the breadth and the depth of who you are uh, as a human being, not simply uh, as a football player and the wisdom that you bring uh, to all of us and to a generation. So what's next, Michael? I don't know, I think it's, a, I think it's a, and it's funny that you say that, right? Because you talk about this and I was thinking this and thinking about being a theologian or thinking about something from the perspective of thinking about divinity and what does divinity fit in this world? And I think, and, and we, we almost, I was uh, talking to one of my friends the other day and we were talking about absolute divinity and we were saying that the sense that we're starting to become, we'll be thinking that what we do is the most important thing and how we see God is the most important thing. And I think sometimes we as people think that we can understand God and thinking that God's love is limited to just certain um, certain people. And I think that, and, and this is where I feel like this important for me is to figure out and dig into a deeper sense of what that really means. And I think continuously studying 
the importance of love and the importance of being important of really changing society. So continuously to write books and focus on, on, on bringing um, truth to light. Well, you were doing that and thank you for sharing uh, in this more public conversation. And it's been a pleasure to at least introduce those who are listening to uh, some of the conversations that inspire me uh, as you and I uh, talk and text uh, back and forth. Uh, what would you like to leave us with? I think, I think I, what I would like to leave us with is that if we are, if we are human beings and we say that this world matters to us. It's important that we start to stop being so blind. When I'm talking about spiritually blind, I think that's an important thing because those people who said they have been seen, they haven't been seen enough. And I think we've become so um, unconscious to the world that we live in. And when we see the amount of suffering that's happening to, around us on a daily basis, and I think that we as individuals are building up, you know, a slowly hardened heart that it's going to eventually lead us into a place that we don't want to be as a society. So I think it's important that we continuously to bring these stories to life. And I think about us as humans, I think about us as a society and what's happening around the world. And to continuously have this more courage, I think that we as a society need to have this more courage because I look at the vanity that we constantly portray on Instagram or Twitter, the we, this ego, this central, this self-centeredness around we are, but we have to really focus on how we connect as a human being and we're seeing the rise and the starvation around this world. And I think as as we look back, and we have if Jesus, all Jesus come back to say is uh, whoever your savior is or what you believe is in Jesus Christ is mine. And if you come back and all you have to say is I have, I have this iPhone to show for what you've been gone. We're, it's going to be really upsetting because this is there's so much things that is still happening around the world. The poverty is still the same. The starvation, the amount of murder, the amount of war that is still happening around the world. And the importance of what we are and what we need to do as individuals on a constant basis. I'm not saying that each individual has to take up on a public stage and stand up on the square. Not everybody's willing to do what Martin Luther King did, do what Jesus did, do what God did. But in your small circle, in your small place and where you live at, there's a possibility and an opportunity for you to really change somebody else's mind and you to go out and have a sense of kindness and have a sense of courage and not look at it from, oh, if, if he has this, then I have less. Really think about it in the sense that if he has this, then I also have it. And in that sense that love thy neighbor, I think that's an important thing. I think if we can look at it from that perspective, we can have and be more in an inclusive world and think about this opportunity to be a generation and a nation and a kind of world of that can be connected to humanity in another sense and not in a sense of false sense and not take this sedative where we fall asleep at the will on a constant basis. What a place to end. <laughs> the moral courage to love thy neighbor. The moral courage to love thy neighbor. Thank you, Michael Bennett. And thank you all for joining us.